guys, welcome back to the What I Love About Men podcast. I'm your host, Steph, and today I have a really interesting guest for you. His name is Chris Whitaker. Chris is the CEO and founder of Matrix Mastery Coaching. He is also an attorney who provides legal advice to seven and eight figure government agency clients in the public sector and to corporate clients in the private sector. Chris is passionate about helping his clients escape the matrix and live life from the heart on their own terms according to their own priorities. So, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for being on. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Just to start off, I want to hear more about what you do in the Matrix Mastery Coaching. What's like the main goal for your coaching? Sure. So it actually was kind of born out of what I perceived as my own struggle. Um, I'm a lawyer by trade, and I just feel like a lot of um, licensed professionals like myself, you know, doctors, lawyers, CPAs, were, were kind of sold a bill of goods. You know, it's like do the right things, go to school, play by the rules, rack up a lot of student loan debt, and you'll just automatically have an awesome life. Uh, but I found in my own journey that definitely wasn't the case. And so, you know, not only myself, but I know folks like me who are really struggling. You know, they have things like they work too many hours to maintain their standard of living. So they're strangers to their families. Their kids don't know them. And, you know, and they also feel like they don't have time for anything else but work and then just barely living outside of it. So um, it's kind of. Uh, yeah, it, it was. And, um, you know, I always have to be on guard to make sure it doesn't come back that way. Um, but it's it's kind of a, a holistic, whole person approach to kind of, you know, improve people's efficiency and productivity because time is the root of everything. If you don't if you don't have time, there's nothing you can do to make your life better. Um, and then, you know, I also have some things to teach them about. You know, if they want to make more money and stay in their current job, I can help with that. Or if they want to learn about like some high income skills that maybe could help them um, put put their license profession aside and go do something else, they can do that, too. But but also and most importantly, really just try to get their priorities right in life, what they really care about and, and live from their hearts, including their professional lives. What is the main the main issue that you feel you have to help them solve or move past? So um, it's it's two things. It's awareness and then the need to to do something about the things which they are now aware, but they don't have any real capability or insight on how to do that. Mm. Do you think a lot of it has to do with a lack of lack of love for themselves? Like, like you said, society puts this pressure on men that's like, you know, suck it up. And like you're the you're the protector and like you have to be the fighter and you have to face all the fears. So I feel a lot of men push push that self-love aside and don't really focus on it or pay too much attention of it and they're not aware of it. So like do you think that's that's a main issue there? Oh, I I absolutely do. Um you know, it's it's a sad irony because you know, you can't give from an empty vessel. So by men putting themselves last they are not only injuring and damaging themselves, but they're also cheating and hurting those who rely upon them the most because, you know, by not by not taking care of themselves, like when you're on a plane and they tell you to put your oxygen mask on first and then put your kid's mask on, because if you pass out, you can't help the kid, you know, and it's it's the yeah. same thing with the male deprioritization uh, or um, putting aside entirely of self-love. Yeah. What's your personal take on self-love? Well, it's, um, you know, it's kind of a broad thing. There have been books written about it, but 
Um, generally speaking, I'd say it means fully accepting and loving yourself just as you are now and resting in confidence, knowing that not only are you enough, but you're fully capable of and equipped to do everything you need to do to accomplish what you were put here to do. Um, and that's, you know, that struggle is not unique to men. Men and women both have it, but, um, but that's my, my broad stroke definition of it. Yeah, I like that. You know, when you had that challenge during your life of maybe working too hard and and just not making enough time for family and friends and relaxation, would you say that you were limiting your self-love or didn't, were you aware of it? Did you know what it was and did you know how to harness it or you just had no idea? If I'm being completely honest, I was so, I was so lost and unconscious for, for a lot of years that I didn't even really have any awareness of the lack of self-love, let alone any insight into it and, and how it most manifested itself with me was because of some, some childhood traumas that, that I suffered. I grew up and went well into manhood with a pervasive sense of, of unworthiness. And that was really damaging and destructive because what that led me to do was to seek happiness and fulfillment of my internal voids from external sources. And, you know, that just can't work because it's attempting to use something for a purpose which it wasn't intended. And so that's that's why I had the relational struggles that, that I had and, and a lot of, you know, dysfunction and, ha and unhappiness for a long time. Wow. And what was the moment where it all changed? You know, actually, it was I remember the date. It was October 29th, 2014. Um, I'd. I mean, I know that's really specific, but but that date means something. Um, you know, I just left divorce court with a freshly signed divorce order from the judge that he had signed at my request like two hours prior. And that was the final nail in the coffin of my mistaken belief that anything outside of me could fulfill or fix me. And mm. that that really kicked off in earnest the the self work and introspection that that I've really been at and about the business of pretty much every day since then to to figure out you know what self love looks like what it means to me and what I have to do to, to practice it and to live from it. So when it comes to men who say oh I don't have I don't have time for that time for themselves as an excuse what would you say to those types of guys? And I would say this with all of the the respect and compassion and empathy that I that I can muster because I've been there, but I would respectfully, compassionately call BS. Uh, the bottom line is we all have time for what we make time for. Period. Full stop. I mean, people are like, oh well, you know, so and so was just too busy to be with me. Well, no, they weren't. They would be with you if they wanted to. And similarly. If something is enough of a priority to you, including self-love, you will make the time for it. And the problem with the failure to make time for it is much like people who say, oh, well, I don't have time to work out or go to the gym, right? If you don't make time for health, eventually you will be forced to make time for illness, right? Mm -hmm. So similarly, if as a man, you don't take time for self-love, the universe, your relationships, and everything else will force you to make time to deal with the dysfunction and the pain and the heartbreak that will inevitably result from that failure to prioritize self-love. Ooh, chills. That was good. Do you feel that 
So I guess like self-love in a way is calling yourself out on your BS too, right? And I did a post on this yesterday. It's like, are you, are you being real with the man in the mirror? It's like, are you calling out your BS? And what would you say about that? Like, is that, when does it cross the line of beating yourself up versus being harsh on yourself because you love yourself? That's a good question. I think it's actually two separate questions. So I'll, I'll address them one at a time. Self-love encompasses, as love itself does, a whole spectrum of implementation and love practices. So, you know, whether it's to yourself or others, there are times that you will need to practice sympathetic love. Uh, and other times it'll need to be more compassionate. And then, of course, there are times where it's going to need to be tough love. And so you got to think of it this way. Even if you don't have the self-esteem or even necessarily the awareness to call BS on yourself and to show yourself tough love, think of someone you love or care about, someone that's dear to you. And the last time that they were making poor, destructive choices and damaging themselves in their lives. And then you had a conversation with them saying, hey, look, I love you, but but you're screwing up. And, and here's how, you know, I, I, I really care about you. I hate to see you in pain and, and I don't want this for you you know, what are your, what are your thoughts about this? So even if you don't have the emotional resources and wherewithal to, to love yourself that way, you can at least model appropriate, healthy self-love by treating yourself the way you would somebody external to you that you really love and mean something to you. Yeah. Wow. That's such a good point. Yeah, because we always use that in terms of talking ourselves up. It's like, how would you talk to a friend? You know, because we usually do talk our friends up and we make them. It's so easy for us to make our friends feel, you know, good. And it, it goes the same way with when you're, you know, when your friend's fucking up, it's like you're there to call them out. If you're a really good friend, you call them out on their shit because you love them. And the same should go with yourself. It's a really good way to look at it. I love that. Okay, so let's go to, let's switch over to the myth that there are no good men or women left. Do you think people actually believe this or do they decide to believe it once they've personally failed with one or two relationships? Well, I think the I think the question behind the question is whether especially men believe this consciously or not. And, and my position is that almost none of them do, you know, and this is not a gender specific thing necessarily. But all of us have the tendency to to tend toward egocentrism, especially when we're in pain or we're in hurting. We think. The world is all about us. It revolves around us and and things like that. And, and that's just not the case. So, you know, you look at and you pick data points, recent ones that kind of validate what you think your view is like, oh, well, instead of saying, OK, what does all the data say about whether there are any good ones left? I'm only looking at my last two relationships, both of which broke my heart and I'm in pain. So that means there's no good ones left. And and that's. Mm -hmm. You know, that's as preposterous as it is untrue, uh, but that doesn't make it feel any less true when we're hurting. Yeah. And I love that you said that, like, we prove ourselves right because we always do. Like, no matter what our true belief is, we will find a way, like, within our actions and our relationships and our, our external reality, we'll always prove what our true belief is. So that, that makes total sense there. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, there there are 7 billion people in the world. So, I mean, think, think of that yeah. and then compare that to the one or two people that, that hurt you or the relationships that caused you pain and say, oh, well, yeah, because of those two, the remaining 6,999,000,000 and change, um, there's, there's not one good one in there. That's, I mean, when you think of it that yeah. way, you can almost laugh at yourself for having thought that, but, but you have to get there. 
And, and you have to be conscious of the reality of your situation and take yourself out of it to the extent you can, because if you can't, then you get stuck in that ego trap. And that's how you end up with, with unconscious mistaken beliefs like that. Yeah. Do you feel that men or women use this myth more? You know, that's a good question. And I really had to think about it for a minute. And this is, this is where I come down on it. I think that women verbally express this myth more, but that men walk it out more. And here's what I mean by that. Women are generally better than men at expressing their emotions, beliefs, and feelings. So they say this aloud more often than men do. And so the female version of the self-fulfilling prophecy is they speak it. And so they put out that energetic vibe into the universe and that attracts more of what they say they believe. And so that's that's the primary way it plays out with women. Men, on the other hand, it's a little different because men are inherently action oriented beings. So the way I've seen it manifest itself is men opting out of marriage entirely in record numbers. You know, they just take their chips and go home and don't even get themselves involved in it because if they think there are no good ones left, then why would they bet their entire life, their heart, their future children and half their assets for God knows how long on something that doesn't have any better odds than playing craps at a Vegas casino, you know? And so if they really and truly believe that, then based on that mistaken belief and them opting out of marriage, their self-fulfilling prophecy is isolation breeds more isolation because they isolate in order to avoid the pain that they think exists from no good ones existing. They stay more isolated and don't end up even being able to be exposed to the possibility that there are good ones out there that might love them. Yeah. How would you personally respond to someone who says this myth? Like if someone were to say to you, oh, there's no good women out there at all, how would you respond to them? I, you know, again, with all the respect, compassion and and empathy I could muster, I would call BS. And when they asked me, well, okay, if that's true, then prove it. I'm like, okay, that's easy. In your life, everyone or most all of us know at least one person, one couple that has a happy, healthy, functional relationship. Now, this may or may not even be like in your inner circle of close people, right? I mean, it could be like, you know, the pastor and his wife at at your church if you if you go to church or even a coworker that, you know, they just work with you every day, but they come in and they're consistently happy and, you know, they get flowers from their husband on on special occasions and they have mostly good things to say about them and don't don't trash talk their their man that way. So when you find somebody like that, first off, that's a different data point to analyze than your egocentric, oh, my painful relationships mean there's no good one. So first off, you got to deal with a cognitive dissonance between your own experience and the existence of something that doesn't match it. Yeah. But if you can get past that and say, okay, well, maybe I will consider the possibility that there are good ones out there. Even if you have no idea yourself how to go about finding one, attracting one, whatever, what you can do is befriend these folks, get closer to them, talk to them, you know, see what they are willing to tell you about their secrets to success and what makes their relationship healthy. Because it's been my experience that that most happy, healthy, well-adjusted couples especially for somebody younger that's trying to to get it right, love to share the things that work for them, you know, the good things and the the struggles they've overcome. So 
you know, it's really just about getting out of your own head mm-hmm. and your comfort zone and going to explore the world and the people around you a little bit to see if you can't find one or more data points that don't support your mistaken belief. That's so true. And I feel there's so many people out there who are afraid to to learn from people who are successful at things that maybe they're not. And the only way you get better is if you study from the people who are doing it right and who know their know their shit, know what they're doing. You know, it's like it's like getting mad at a rich person but being bitter and angry and jealous of their wealth. Like like just go up to them and ask them how they did it, you know, have a conversation with with some wealthy people and then and then you'll know the tools and the steps to get there yourself. So that's a really good point is just go up to a couple who's seems successful or seems as happy as you would like to be and, and understand where they're coming from, what their secrets are. And then beyond the, awesome. the people aspect of things, there are all kinds of, you know, resources, books, you know, self-help guides and, you know, different ones are mm-hmm. going to, are going to resonate with different people. You know, some of it depends on your, your religious orientation or, or whatever, but if you find a book or a resource or a guide or even a coach that that resonates with you such that you think, hey, this person or this resource might be able to guide me and to, to give me some insight and information that I don't have, that if I learn it and actually put it into practice, that I might can change what has been my reality heretofore. But if you only do the same things you've ever done, that's all you're ever going to have. Yeah, you'll get the same result over and over. Right. So is that what you would say would be the main solution to to get out of this way of thinking would be to expose yourself to people who are doing it right? Broadly speaking, it goes to the concept of environmental exposure. You know, you change your environmental exposure in terms of people, in terms of the things you think, you read, you see. I mean, don't be, if, if you're trying to change your beliefs about toxic relationships, don't be looking at the best housewives and all that crap. All the drama, trauma, the Jerry Springers, the Moyes of <laughs> yeah. the world. Get that stuff off your TV and out of your mind because it's only going to feed that that garbage misperception. Yeah, that's so true. Um, so speaking of um, toxic relationships, let's talk toxic masculinity. You had some really good things to say on my post. I posted something about toxic masculinity. So I want to hear, I want you to tell the listeners what your definition of toxic masculinity is versus just masculinity. Sure. So I think I'll start with masculinity itself. And, you know, just broadly speaking, it's kind of the the nature and the inherent ingrained things that the universe has placed into the mind and heart and body of man since the beginning of time. You know, the warrior ethos, the the mm-hmm. need to have a mission and a purpose, the also desire to protect and serve, especially, you know, women and, and the so-called weaker among us those that can't stand up for or help themselves and, you know, using the physical strength that men are just biologically more gifted with in terms of testosterone, better ability to build muscle, things like that, using that not only to the good of the man himself, but also to the good of their family and the greater good of, of society and, and so on and so forth. Mm. Toxic masculinity is like anything else toxic. Fundamentally, it's the misuse of masculinity for the purpose and to the degrees which it was intended, right? So you got to think of it like this. Mm-hmm. When you have a headache, two extra strength Tylenol will clear up your headache. Twelve of them will kill you, you know? And so mm-hmm. the the struggle of all men, especially in, you know, the modern feminist era, I don't say that as a pejorative or an insult, it just 
it is what it is because part of what I explained on my response to your post was the wild pendulum swings of history because really up until, you know, from the beginning of America up until the civil rights era, 1960s, let's call it, uh, women were on a good day, second class citizens, and in some cases, even property. And we're not talking the Middle East here. We're talking this is America, right? So yeah. in the natural course of things was for that wrong to be corrected. But as is often the case and sometimes happens, the pendulum swings too far in the other direction before it settles into a natural, more appropriate uh, center point. And so the wild pendulum swing away from the patriarchal culture that really embodied most of the first 150 or so years of this country ended up unfortunately and unwittingly resulting in the denigration, the devaluation, uh, disrespect, and even the discarding of even healthy masculinity, no matter the source from, from all men. And so how that manifests itself in, in the lives of men, typically one of, one of two ways. Some men will give in to those external pressures against their inherent innate masculinity, and then they end up living fraudulent lives of inauthenticity and frustration and isolation because they're, you know, they're not being who they were as they were created and, and they don't feel like they are free to be so. That causes all sorts of problems. Other men take it the complete opposite direction and turn the volume up way too loud on what they perceive masculinity to be. Like the example I was talking about with the Tylenol earlier, um, you know, what typically happens in response to perceived oppression against normal, healthy masculinity is, okay, well, I'm going to overdo it on the anger, on the arrogance and the domination and, you know, the bulldozing. So it's, it's the, the misuse and over application of what might otherwise be healthy masculinity that often turns it toxic. Yeah. So what do you, would you say that it's easy to fall into the trap of toxic masculinity and what makes it so easy? I would say definitely. Yes. Um, the, the thing that makes it the easiest, frankly, is, is the culture in which we currently live. As you know, whether it's society or the media or even, unfortunately, and usually unconsciously, uh, a fair number of, of women encourage it and, you know, compound the issues. And so add that to the fact that not nearly enough men even understand what healthy masculinity looks like because they've either had dysfunctional role models who didn't know how to do it themselves, let alone be able to teach it somebody, or sadly, you know, especially in communities like the African-American community, absent fathers entirely. So they had literally no example of it. So they're left to fend for themselves. And the best they could hope for is like my example earlier, of a single mom trying to be mom and dad. And so their idea of dad comes from mom. And, and that's just, that's never going to work. So um, what ends up happening is they end up walking out this dysfunction of their toxic masculinity that they learned in childhood in conjunction with whatever erroneous beliefs they picked up about what masculinity is along the way in their life. So can you go back to when you were saying um, men feel like they can't be free? What do you mean by that exactly? 
Well, a good example of that is, historically speaking, norms of polite society and decency and, and things like that would dictate certain behaviors from men, especially on dates, like, you know, opening opening doors for women, you know, walking on, on the outside of the sidewalk to, you know, protect them from danger and, and also to just make sure that everything's okay. And, and I could go through a bunch of examples like that, but um, but those are those are part and parcel of the natural, healthy masculinity that I that I mentioned earlier. But there there are some women, not all. And I don't even know that it's a majority because I don't have the data for it. But there there are some women and there's some section and strata of women that think that that some that healthy masculinity manifestation is actually the whole patriarchy thing from her first 150 years ago trying to oppress or enslave them yeah. you know and so they they discourage men from do that or if the man does do it they they get ridiculed or mocked or insulted or something like that and they're like that makes them confused because yeah. they're like well what what in the crap do i do i mean i'm trying to i'm trying to be who and what i really I am and and now i can't do that so so what do i do and that's where I really feel for guys. I have some women close to me who, who lash out about this type of stuff. And it's like, I can hold the door myself. And I'm like, okay, we can do everything ourselves. But it's like, it's not like men think we can't hold the door. Like, I'm pretty sure they know we can hold the door ourselves. And it's just a, it's a, it's a very nice gesture. And whenever men do that, you know, hold a door open for me, I, I just think of them as such a gentleman and it's, it makes me so happy and I really appreciate it. And like, I have this one guy who walked on the other side of the sidewalk and, and I noticed that he walked over to the other side. He didn't have to. And it was just like, in my head, I was like, Oh my God, that's so, that's so nice. Like that's so, and it was a turn on and it felt really good. And some women get seriously offended and some women absolutely love it. So I really do feel for the guys where it's like, okay, what do I do? Yeah. And, and what I would say from a, from a male perspective is, is like anything else, it's about, it's about the awareness and, Really, all a man can do until he has that information from a woman is just to be himself, because at the end of the day, you have to be yourself anyway, because you have to give your partner, whether it's, you know, holding out the door, holding the door, pulling out the chair or whatever. You have to be your authentic self so that they can have the opportunity to make an informed choice about who you really are. So. You know, just just be yourself and do what you would do. And if it feels good and resonates to you and it's respectful and, and you mean it from a good place in your heart, but you get some kind of what you consider to be a crazy off the wall reaction or an outright rejection of of your kind, polite gesture, then you need to add that to the hopper of your consideration of do I want to move forward with this person at all or not? Uh, because if I yeah. if I have to be someone or something other than who and what I am, do I really want this? Starts your relationship on a lie, right? And then it just snowballs and it gets worse and worse if you can't be authentically you. What can men and women do to avoid toxic masculinity? Yeah, that's that's also a good question. I really had to think about that for, for a minute. With men, because toxic masculinity is unique to and originates with us, like like we've said throughout throughout this conversation, it's it's all about awareness. And so you have to really undertake a ruthless searching inventory of your life and your past, especially your past relationships with women. You know, 
questions you need to ask yourself. Have some or all of your relationships been marked with consistent, unrelenting drama, trauma, and pain? Uh, in those relationships, have you shown up as an equal partner seeking a partnership or as a bulldozing bully steamrolling your partner and making the relationship all about you? And, you know, on the on the mm -hmm. far end of that spectrum, have you had severe anger issues, depressive disorder things and or it, it does happen physically or psychologically abused your prior partners? And it's stuff like that. And the answers to questions like that, that could if you actually ask them and sit with the answers and don't run from them and don't judge yourself, just look at it as data that you're gathering to get to a better place in your life. If you can do that, then that's the first step in breaking through your fog of unconscious lack of awareness on, you know, whether you might have some toxic masculinity going. Um, and so, again, like I said earlier about other things with finding good role models for, for relationships. Again, if you, if you find yourself having had yeses to some of these questions, find yourself somebody who, who doesn't have that kind of history and, and learn from them if you can. Um, as far as women goes, it's um, again, it, it all starts and ends with awareness. Uh, women have to be especially acutely aware, given the differences in physical strength and build and stuff like that, for the most part, between women and men. Because if you if you end up with someone who lives from a place of toxic masculinity, it, it doesn't just carry the risk of a bad relationship and a broken heart. It could carry the risk of abuse or, you know, in extreme cases, even kill you. Um, I'm not saying that to scare women, but it, these sorts of things, you have to ask the right questions early in the relationship to, to ferret out some of this information so that if these kind of red flags pop up, you give them the attention and scrutiny they deserve such that you can make an informed decision about whether you want to move forward in the relationship or not. And then um, on a more positive note, try letting your man or your dating partner that you're going on more than one date with, give him some space to be who he is as a man and just observe. Try not to judge, but look and see if he does those things we mentioned. If, if it's important to you that a man open the door for you or pull out your chair or walk on the outside of the sidewalk. Or I, I like to post myself up at the table that we're seated at at a restaurant so I can have a good view of the entrance so that if something crazy pops off, I know about it first and I can take the first steps to protect myself and my date uh, before anybody else who's not switched yeah. on and paying attention is even looking at it. Um, so you got to, as a, as a woman, you have to allow the man to be the man that he is and observe and gather data as dispassionately as you can and then see if that resonates with you. And, and if it does, then, you know, that might be a green light to, to keep going because, you know, the toxic masculinity piece isn't there. Um, but if you see some of those red flags, then you might need to pull back on the reins a little bit and, you know, maybe even go as far as to separate yourself entirely if you can't get the resolution you need. Yeah. Wow. That's a great answer. I think women need to understand that as men and women, we're, we're different, you know, and like, like there's great things about men and there's great things about women. So when a man is trying to 
trying to be a man, let him be a man. Like women have to understand that this does mean a lot to men. Like it makes them feel good. It makes them feel like they're protecting us. And I think that is like a very innate trait of men. And, you know, most women do appreciate it. So for the guys listening, like don't think that's just old school, like BS. It's there's a lot of women who really appreciate the small things you do like that, like open the car door and walk on the side of the road where the cars, you know, closer to the cars. And, you know, like you said, Chris, like be on the lookout for if anything bad happens, you're you're the first one to deal with it. And hearing that, like me hearing that, it's, it's kind of like, oh, my hero, <laughs> you know, and that's the feeling that a lot of women get. And we really do appreciate that. So don't lose sight of that. And don't feel like that's not important anymore, because it still is to a lot of women out there. And it's just like Chris said, it's just a matter of finding a woman who will appreciate that. If that's important to you, you want to be with a partner who appreciates those things that that make you that fill you up and make you feel masculine and and like a man and feel strong and protective. So if that's how you want to feel and that's how you need to feel to feel like the best man you can be, make sure you find a woman who appreciates that. Absolutely. Yeah. If you could give one piece of advice, just one thing for the listeners to walk away with, what would the most important thing be? You mean out of all of the things that we've talked about today? Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's, I think it's self-love and I, and I don't think it's a particularly close call, honestly. And, And here's why, you know, we can never, meet, interact with, or love anyone more deeply than we've met ourselves. So whatever your cap, your ceiling, your limits are, those will be your limits in a relationship as well. So if you cannot healthily love yourself, you cannot and will not healthily love a partner. It doesn't matter who she is, be the best woman on earth and have everything on what I like to call your romantic resume, check all the boxes, be the bomb.com. But even notwithstanding all that, if you don't have healthy, self-assured, not obnoxious and arrogant self-love, then you, you're not going to be able to be the relationship partner that she needs. And on a long enough timeline, you will sabotage it. You will screw it up and, and she will not be in your life. So, you know, to the extent you perceive things within yourself, it's like, man, I really, I really need to be better than this and 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 focus for the purposes of seeking relationships on things that might be desirable qualities and traits that might be desirable to the partner that you seek to attract and if if there is space and a gap between where you are within yourself from a self-love perspective and what you aspire to be loving your partner in a relationship well when you take the time and make the time to to work on the things to make yourself a better relationship partner, start there. And, you know, whatever that is, whether it's, hey, you know, I need to learn to not talk so ugly to myself. Well, if you talk ugly to yourself, when you get in a fight with your partner, which we all will, then the same negative garbage, defeating, injurious self-talk that you have within your own head, that will be the dialogue that you perpetrate upon that woman. Um, and so if you can't speak to yourself kindly, what makes you think when the chips are down, you're going to be able to do the same for her. So important. Oh, thanks so much, Chris. Thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Your insight. Absolutely. It's a lot of fun. So where can people, where can people find you if they want to reach out or they want to check out your, your social? Yeah, sure. Uh, people want to reach out to me on social media mm-hmm. or find what I'm about. They can go to my Instagram. Uh, it's at the Chris Whitaker. T-H-E-C-H-R-I-S, Whitaker with two T's, W-H-I-T-T-A-K-E-R. I have a daily video that I do, and I try to post at least 
twice a day with just, you know, thoughts and, and wisdom and, and kind of downloads from, from the universe. Um, some of it's about relationships, but really a lot of it has to do with the things we've talked about today, you know, self-love, consciousness, being your best you and, and what you need to do to show up in life as, as the best you walking, you know, empowered in your mission, purpose, vision, and passion. Because if you want a great relationship, there is nothing sexier than a man or a woman who is walking out their path confidently and doing well at it. It just, I mean, you want to attract the right kind of partner that you want, live your best, most empowered, authentic life and see what the universe brings you. I promise you it'll be good.